When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, 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 my friends, and welcome to a special two-hour episode of Terror Radio Podcast. Today's my birthday, so to celebrate, I am surprising you all with an extended episode, and tonight I'm going to feature four of my favorites. I know I say that all the time, but these are truly four of my favorite episodes that I have listened to throughout the years. For those who are new, welcome. This is a podcast dedicated to bringing you the best of horror and thriller, old-time radio broadcasts, as well as original stories. This is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, celebrating my 52nd birthday. So, without further ado, this is... Terror Radio. As I said, I am featuring four episodes back to back. The first being He Who Follows Me from the Hall of Fantasy, which was first broadcasted on March 11, 1950, followed by the episode entitled Scoop from Lights Out. And this was first broadcasted on December 8, 1942. Following that is The House in Cypress Canyon from the radio drama Suspense, which premiered on December 5th, 1946, and will conclude with the episode entitled Country of the Blind, which is, which is an adaptation from H.D. Wells' short story. And this comes from the radio show Escape and it was broadcasted on November 26 1947 so you know the drill sit back turn down the lights and listen to my favorite radio programs and now Imaginations. Ain't their imaginations. I know. I've seen them myself. 
What are you trying to do? Frighten us? I ain't trying to frighten you, none. <laughs> I don't have to. He'll frighten you. Old Mr. Tynus. The death that walks. Because he'll come for you. <laughs> he'll come for you. In just a moment, the Hall of Fantasy will present He Who Follows Me. And now for our story. Adapted for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled He Who Follows Me. I have before me the diary of a dead man. He and his wife were my best friends. The words he's written down tell a tale so fantastic it's almost impossible to believe. Yet I know that Bill and Helen Mason lived the last few months of their lives in dread fear of the slow steps that followed them. It is late evening as I read his words. I have come to their house now so empty and sit in the large overstuffed leather chair in the library. Outside, rain pummels against the side of the house. The wind blows the fall leaves from the trees and the sound of thunder gives vent to the anger of the storm. There's something in the house. A tension. A fear, perhaps. I feel almost as if unseen eyes were watching me. As if someone is here with me. Here in this room. And so I start to read his diary. Living words from the pen of a man who sleeps forever. March 3rd. Today, Helen and I came across one of those delightful old southern mansions. We decided to stop and make a study of the place. And Helen was especially interested in taking some color pictures to illustrate our lecture series in the fall. Well, I guess no one will mind if we take a look around the place. No, I'm sure they wouldn't. Oh, it's a shame that whoever owns the house and grounds let the place run down this way. It must have been beautiful in its day. Yeah, I imagine it was, Helen. The house could still be saved, renovated. Beautiful place. Oh, wait, wait a minute. I'd like to get a shot from here. Hmm. Ah, if that turns out, it'll make a nice picture. Helen? Mm-hmm? I wonder what that building is over there. Yeah. Right over there, just in back of the house. Oh, well, no one's to stop us. Why don't we take a look? All right, let's do. Can't understand why anyone would let the grounds and house deteriorate so. Well, it must have cost a lot of money to run a place as large as this, darling. The real estate office probably couldn't find a buyer. Uh, you're probably right. Yeah, I notice the other building doesn't seem to be so run down. No. It's in remarkably fine condition. It must have been built a lot later than the house. It seems to be made of stone. Gray stone. I wonder what it's used for. Don't know. Actually, I believe that someone lived in the old house not too long ago, and I think probably the second building was constructed during that time. Well, it's a crime to let a beautiful old place run down like this. Mm. Well, here we are. Bill? Yes, dear? It doesn't have any windows. Yes, I noticed that. Seems rather strange. Oh, well, maybe it was used for a store. Oh, look at the door. What's the matter with it? I think the lock's broken. You're right. Why don't we take a look inside? All right. The lock's all rusted, too. Yeah, that does it. And now to see what's inside. Well, there might not be any windows, but there's a skylight that lets in the sun. Come on, let's go in. All right. 
so cold in here. Yeah, so I noticed. Helen, what's that in the center of the floor? <laughs> That's just what I was going to say. This isn't a storehouse by any stretch of the imagination. It's a mausoleum. That thing in the center of the floor is a sarcophagus. Stone coffin. There's nothing else in here. Just that... That thing in the center. And yet I feel as if... It's crowded. As if there are things here that we can't see. <laughs> That's nonsense, darling. Hey, look, notice how the sun falls across the head of a sarcophagus. Yes, I wonder if we have light enough to take a picture. Well, I doubt it, but you could try. Well, I might as well if it turns out... Yeah. Uh, what are you shooting with in here? We noticed the lock was broken, and so we came on in. You shouldn't have done that. Why not? We didn't do any harm. I'm sure of that, but he won't like it. Who won't like it? The thing that sleeps in that stone coffin. What are you talking about? Just what I said. You didn't notice the writing over the door when you came in, did you? What writing? You didn't notice it then. That's a shame. Because you didn't know what you was getting into. Getting into? Look, I'm sorry, but I just don't understand. We didn't hurt anything. We're not intending to steal anything. But that don't make no difference. He doesn't care what your reasons were. Who is he? They called him Mr. Thomas when he was living. They call him the death that walks now that he's dead. The death that walks? How did he come to get that name? Because people around here have seen him at night. But he's dead. That's right, he's dead. And they've seen him walking. That must be their imagination. It ain't their imaginations, I know. I've seen them myself. What are you trying to do? Frighten us? I ain't trying to frighten you none. <laughs> I don't have to. He'll frighten you. Oh, Mr. Thomas. The death that walks. I uh, think we'd better go, Bill. You don't believe what I'm telling you. That's all right with me. I don't care what you believe, but you listen to what I'm saying now. If I was you, I'd get away from here as fast as I could. Not just from this place, but from the town, from this part of the country. Why? You want me to tell you a little of the story? Yes. All right. Maybe you'll believe me then. Old Tannis came here from someplace in Europe. I say old, but he really wasn't old. Just seemed that way. He brought the house and grounds here and had them clean up. Till the place looked like it was brand new. And he started building this here building. There's something funny about Tanner, something in his eyes that made you frightened of him. His eyes, they looked like the eyes of a, of a dead man. He didn't act like anyone I ever knew. He was always talking about dead. Always telling me he could come back after death. I was the caretaker then, just like I am now. After this building was completed, I used to watch him at night when he'd come out here. Seemed like he was in some sort of a trance. He'd stay out here for hours. And when he'd come back to the house, his, his eyes would glisten and shine. So you couldn't hardly look at him. A week before he died, he told me that as long as I lived, I was to take care of this place. Because if I didn't, he, he'd come back and kill me. And then he died. Just like that. And he was put in here, in his coffin. One night, about two months later, when the moon was full, I heard a noise. When I come out to look, I saw the door to this place opening, and him come out in the moonlight. I could hear his footsteps. It sounded queer and hollow-like. I turned around, and I could see his face in the moonlight, pale and pasty, sick-looking, sick-looking. 
those eyes of his seemed like two burning coals of fire. He seemed to be looking at me. And I heard him say, They have disturbed me, and the moon has awakened me. I shall follow them. That's what he said. And I heard it just as plain as you're hearing me. And then he vanished in the night. Towards morning, I heard his footsteps again. And I heard that big iron door closing. And I knew he was back. The next day in town, I heard that Alf Cummins had died the night before, screaming something about not meaning to go into the mausoleum. I knew who killed him. And that's all there is to the story? Well, that's just part of it. It's happened again and again in the last ten years since he's been dead. Folks around here say he'll follow you wherever you go if you come inside here. Well, in that case, why haven't you been killed? Because he needs me. <laughs> he ain't going to kill me. But if I was you, I, I'd get out of this part of the country just as soon as I could. Let's go back to the hotel, Bill. Yeah, that's all I do. You going to get away from here? Yes, we'd better get going. I wish I had to forget when you come, but I was in town getting this lock. You can't go around leaving this door unlocked. Yeah, that ought to satisfy him. There's the inscription, Bill. Yeah, that's the writing I mean. Got a nice sentiment, ain't it? If you enter here, into the realm of death... I shall follow you and bring him with me. March 3rd, later. I sit here and write these words. It's quite late and the moon has risen full in the sky. Helen is standing by the window looking out. For some reason, I am frightened. And yet I know that a few months from now I shall only laugh at the memory of my fright. However, in the morning, I do believe that we will leave this place. Paul Drew? Yes, for tonight at least. I think we'll be leaving tomorrow, Helen. Oh, I'm glad. I don't believe the caretaker story, and yet I'm afraid. Yeah. It's a beautiful night. Yes, isn't it? That moon's so big and full that it could... Bill. Yes, dear? Look down there at the street. There's a man down there. Oh, there's nothing to be... No! He's looking straight up at us. And pointing to us at... Look at his face, Bill. Look at his face. Pale. Pasty looking. And his eyes... Like two burning coals of fire. Back now to our story... Adapted especially for radio by Richard Thorne, entitled, He Who Follows Me. As I read these pages, the words tear up at me, and their formations bring to life a nameless terror which I feel all around me. Outside, the storm still rages. Yet the sound of it fades from my mind as the terror in the pages of the volume I hold before me becomes increasingly apparent. March 3rd, 
still later. The man down in the street, whomever he was, left after about ten minutes. He has given us quite a fright. Where I felt any doubts as to whether or not we should leave this place. They've all been dispelled now. Helen has just gone to bed. I think I shall do the same. If we're going to leave in the morning, you'd better get to sleep, Bill. I want to get out of here as soon as I can. Yes, I was just coming to bed, Helen. That man we saw... Yes? It might be only coincidence. Do you really believe that, Helen? Are you trying to talk yourself into it? I guess I'm trying to rationalize it. I'm afraid I'm not doing a very good job of it. I don't know what to believe. It could be coincidence, but... somehow I'm afraid it isn't. Then you think that... Maybe. No, don't worry about it, Helen. By tomorrow, we'll be several hundred miles from here. And I doubt if whomever it was will follow us. They sound just like the steps that caretaker described to us. Yes, but we saw him walk away. I didn't believe in the room upstairs. Well, it's probably someone else. No, I know it's not. All right, all right. Just a minute. I'll call the desk. This is William Mason in 316. Can you tell me who has the room directly above mine? Clerk's going to check. Yes? Oh, I see. No, no, thank you very much. What did the clerk say? The room directly above ours is unoccupied. March 4th. We left the hotel a short time after we heard the steps. We went immediately to our car and drove all night and all day. And are stopping now in a motel almost a thousand miles away. It's reassuring to know that he could not possibly follow us. I am very tired. Go to bed and get an early start in the morning. Helen? You asleep? No. What are you thinking about? The words that were written above the mausoleum door. If you enter here into the realm of death, I shall follow you and bring him with me. Mr. Mason? 
She can't, Bill. She's sitting there with her eyes wide open. She's dead. August 23rd. We buried her today. As I sit here in the empty house writing this, I know that Thomas will come for me too. I am writing this in the hope that someone will find it, read it, and maybe understand my death. It's lonely here, yet suddenly I have the feeling that I'm not alone. Someone is here with me. He is here in this room with me. I'm afraid to turn and meet him. Have those eyes of his burning into me. And yet, yet I must. I pray that someone reads this. Perhaps he will... He will... portrayed in these programs are fictional, and any similarity to actual events or persons living or dead is purely coincidental.
So if you wish to avoid the excitement and tension of these imaginative plays, we urge you, calmly but sincerely, to turn off your radio now. My name, Arch Obler. Tonight, another exciting lights out story for all of you who like to thrill and chill to tales of the unusual. Tonight's story happened because uh, one rainy night I found myself stranded near an old New England graveyard. But first, Frank Martin for just a few seconds. Everybody. Daily Express. City editor, one moment. Daily Express. Want ad department, one moment, please. There you are. Daily Express. Sport department. Whom do you wish to speak to? One moment, please. Daily Express. One moment, I'll connect you. Good morning, Mr. Roberts. Good morning, Jim. Kind of late today, aren't you, Mr. Roberts? First time in 40 years. Can't understand what happened to my alarm clock. Well, maybe it wore out. Worn out? Maybe that's right. Just worn out. Now, hold up a minute, will you, Mr. Roberts? I want to talk to you. Uh, I'm, I'm late, Carter, but what can I... It's uh, about that money, Mr. Roberts. I was wondering if you'd wait to say... Of course, my boy, of course. How is she? Oh, I'm doing fine. Mr. Roberts... I want you to know how much Gene and I appreciate all you. All right, all right. We're all human beings together, aren't we? Some folks are. I'm late. Got to hurry. See you later. Thanks again, Mr. Roberts. Oh. Sam. Sam Roberts. Uh, yes, Harry. Have you heard the news? No. was so late, didn't even look at late. the paper. Why, it's only two minutes after. Two minutes after is two minutes late, Harry. Sam Roberts, you're the... Oh, well. Listen... Have you heard about Bridge? He's here. Uh, eh? Bridge. Mr. Bridge, the new publisher. Oh, oh him. Well, that's nice. He's taking things over. Sam, you're not in the least bit interested in the fact that there's a new man on top, are you? Well, I've been here so long, and many have come and gone. But aren't you afraid of... Well, finish it, Harry. Afraid of what? Oh, forget it. That column of yours is all that matters, huh, Sam? <laughs> well, I've been doing it quite a number of years. You know, just this morning, I, I was thinking, thinking how fortunate a man I am. For 40 years, things have happened. Wars, peace conferences, depressions, and prosperity. And in all that Mr. time, Roberts, I... Mr. Roberts. Someone paging us, eh? Hey? Uh, Mr. Roberts, you wanted upstairs, right away. Upstairs, Jim? Me? He said, come up right away. New boss, Mr. Bridge. Mr. Bridge? Yeah, right away. He's the boss. That's not so good, Sam. Uh, what, what did you say, Oh, nothing. Nothing at all. You'd better get up there. Sure, sure. Too bad I was late today. Maybe he's been waiting for me. Now take the side steps, Sam. Get up there faster. Yeah, that's right. Uh, thanks, Harry. Thanks. Good luck, Sam. Luck? Why should I need luck? Funny about that alarm clock. I've never seen... Oh, you're, you're new here, aren't, aren't you, Miss? I'm Miss Ronson, Mr. Bridges' new secretary. What is it, please? I'm Sam Roberts. Column on the editorial page. Oh, yes. Mr. Bridges was expecting you. If you'll wait a moment. Uh, yes. 
Mr. Roberts is here, Mr. Bridge. All right, send him in. In a hurry. Yes, sir. Very well. You can go in now. Yes. So I heard. All right, Roberts, come in. Yes, sir. Well, come in, come in. Uh, yes, sir. Sit there. I'm pleased to meet you, Mr. Bridge. Hmm. Sit down. Uh, thank you. Uh, you know, Mr. Bridge, I think you're going to like publishing the Daily Express. What I mean to say is, on this paper, you'll find a group of men who work together, who actually think of the newspaper as part of their lives, who actually... Just a moment, Mr. Roberts. I'm a busy man. I could understand that. I didn't ask you up here to hear about the esprit de corps of this organization. It's been my personal experience that the average man does what he's paid for. No more, no less. Oh, now don't say that, Mr. Bridge. Now, you take Charlie down at number one Linotac. Why, there's a man... Mr. Who... Roberts. I'm, I'm sorry. I know you're busy, but I thought maybe you'd like to know... I've something. seen the balance sheet. I know all I want to know about this publication. The Daily Express earned 23% less in the six months of this fiscal year than it did in a similar period in any year in its history. Well, I, I don't know much about that. But after all, things haven't been going too well in any place. You can't blame the men... The men of an organization make money. The men of an organization lose money. And I assure you, Mr. Roberts, that during the next six months, this newspaper will make money. Well, that's fine. I'm sure for... Will you keep quiet? That's what you want. Mr. Roberts, there comes a time in every man's life when he ceases to be an asset to the organization which hires him. Might as well be frank and tell you that that time has come in your career. What, what did you say, Mr. Bridge? In plain English, what I said was that you're getting just a little too old for this organization. Old? In other words, I'm giving you two weeks' notice. Sorry, Mr. Roberts, but that's the way things are. Good day, sir. You you mean fired? The cashier will have your check. Good day. What? But my column... I'm a busy man, Mr. Roberts. But my column... I'm replacing that tomorrow with a syndicated column. Big name Broadway stuff. That's what the public wants. Mr. Bridge, you don't understand. Thousands of people, they, they write me for 40 years. I've if been... you've been doing it for 40 years, that's long enough. Good day, Mr. But Roberts. Mr. Bridge, listen. Where, where should I go? Ever since I was 16, this is my work. I, I don't know... Must where... I have you shown up, Mr. Roberts? No, no, no. I don't want to anger you, but, but my column... Forty years, I tell Will you. you. It isn't the money. I, I'll work for nothing. If yes, you... I'll work for nothing. Now, look here, Robert. You Didn't think... you hear me, Mr. Bridge? Uh, for nothing. Just let me be here. Get out of here. No, no. Listen to me. Just a minute. Mark. I have no time. Get out. But my 40 years here, since I was a boy. You've been paid for every day. Then I don't want any more pay. Just let me stay. My work. A man can't live without his work. Get out. Get out. Miss Ronson. No, no, no. I, I, I'll go. I'll go. But before I go, just another word. Well, who wants me to go? The managing editor or, or you? Certainly it's my doing. It's my money invested in the paper. It's my right to choose my employee. Let me stay. Oh, what are you going to do? Start playing hearts and flowers? Please. Once and for all, get out of here. This is a business institution. You've been paid for services rendered. Now get out of here and stop acting like a fool. All right, Mr. Briggs. All right. Go ahead with the rest of them. Get them up here one at a time. Yes, Mr. Bridge. Every man in the organization over 50, understand? Yes, Mr. Bridge. Do you want me to include... What? Miss Ronson. Miss Ronson, what's the matter? Answer me. Crazy little fool screaming like that. Answer me. All right, I'll come out there and see what's the matter. <laughs> Look here, Miss Ronson. Didn't you hear me? What was the idea of... Miss Ronson, what's the matter with you? The window. Lord. Window? What about the window? That, that old man. 
Mr. Robert. Well? He just jumped out. Ladies and gentlemen, a man is dead. And before this death leads to the other terrors that lie ahead in this strange story, suppose we pause for a moment, relax, and take time out for a deep breath in the midst of our lights-out story. Let's take time to eavesdrop on two young girls. One of them is very unhappy. <laughs> lights out. The publisher and his chauffeur are driving along a country road. Jenkins? Yes, sir? Why are you taking this road? Well, I don't quite know. What do you mean you don't know? What are you talking about? Well, I mean it's a, it's a shortcut hmm. here. No, why didn't you say so in the first place? Sorry, sir. Jenkins? Yes, sir? How soon do you think we'll get to Hartville? About midnight, sir. Well, that wife of mine, she thinks of the blameless time, Mr. Jenkins. Jenkins, what are we slowing up for? I I don't know, sir. The engine... Well, of all the infernal times and places. Jenkins, what's the idea? It ain't my idea stopping, sir. It's the, it's the engine. This is no time for cleverness. You car like this stalling, I never heard of such a thing. Get it started quickly. Yes, sir. Well, well... Something's wrong. Now, that's brilliant. Get out, get out, you fool, and fix it. Okay. What's that? I said yes, sir. Oh, the rattled brain. Well, well, what are you doing out there? Trying to find the trouble. Well, don't try to find it. Oh, I'd better go out and see myself what... Well, well, have you located the trouble? No, sir. What do you mean, no, sir? Do you know your business or don't you? Don't seem to be getting any spark to distributors. Okay? And why doesn't the engine go? What do I pay you for? To stand around lonely roads in the middle of the night holding guessing games? I'm doing my best. Don't you talk back to me. If this car started, you incompetent, good for nothing, or you're fired. You understand me? Yeah. Okay. Jenkins, where are you going? Jenkins. Yeah, I was fired. It's just... Come back here. Come back here at once. Yeah, I'll come back. Long enough to tell you that if I could take about 20 years off you, I'd change your face plenty before walking out on you. Well, how dare you? You shove everybody else around. You shoved me around for the last time. I'm walking out on you, Sourpuss. I'm walking out right now. Oh, you, you can't leave me here in the middle of nowhere. Can't I? Well, I'm doing it. Now, Jenkins, you... Go along, dictator. Have a nice walk. Jenkins. <laughs> Jenkins, don't be a fool. Come back here. Jenkins, get this car started. Jenkins. Oh, all right. If you haven't heard the last of this, I'll fix you, you hoodlum. Leaving me like this, you'll regret it, Jenkins. Bastard dark. Thinks I'll walk my feet off, huh? Oh, no, I won't. Get in the car. Sit here until someone comes along. Infernal hoodlum. I beg your pardon. But could I be of assistance? What? I was walking alone. I saw you were stalled here. Oh. Oh, well, uh, that's fine. Yes, you can help me. I'll pay you well, too. Will you? Certainly. Certainly. You know about cars? I will drive. Well, that's fine, but you'll have to get it started first. Something about the ignition. I don't know much about machinery. Do you? If you will let me sit behind the steering wheel. Certainly, certainly, but fix the engine first. If you will let me sit behind the steering wheel. I tell you, the engine... All right. You'll see for yourself the starter doesn't do any good. But... Start. Yeah. Infernal Jenkins, he stalled me here deliberately. We will go. He'll regret this night, believe you me. 
Yeah, nothing wrong with the car at all, was there? It runs well. Say, what's the idea of turning down this road? This isn't the way to... A short way. Huh? A much shorter way. You mean to Hartville? I assure you, a much shorter way. Oh, fine. <laughs> You're a pretty clever fella. Say, how would you like working as my chauffeur? I pay well, treat my help well. But did you hear me? So how would you like the job working for me? I'll start you out at... So why do you keep your head turned? What? What? I turn the headlights off. Stop the car. The headlights are off. Stop the car. You can't drive in the dark. I know the road well. There's no dim out area. Someone might run into it. Stop the car. There is no time to wait. Yes, yes, I'll grant you I'm in a hurry, but if you think I'm going to jeopardize my life driving in the dark like this, you're crazy. Stop the car. Stop it. Well, it's more like it. I was jeopardizing my life. Well, come on, get out. You can fix the light. Yes. Everything happening at once. Blasted automobile. Well, I stand there. Going to fix the light? There will be light enough soon. Huh? What are you talking about? The moon. The moon? In a moment. The moonlight. Moonlight? Who cares about moonlight? Fix the light and... What? You see. Cemetery. The cemetery. We went where the road led. What's the meaning of this? Come. Come? Come where? What are you up to? Why did you bring me to this infernal graveyard? Follow me. Follow you? Where? Among the tombstones? This way. Are you crazy? Get me out of here quickly. You will follow me. What are you up to? Your face. I have seen you before. This blasted half-light. I do know you, don't I? I ask you once more. Come with me. No, no, no. No, no violence. My, my money. It's in my inside pocket. Let me go, but no violence. With me. No, no, no. Don't touch me. Don't touch me. I... Can't stand pain. I'll go with you. I'll go. This way. If you think there's any profit in kidnapping me, let me tell you you're mistaken. Here, take my wallet and show me the way out of here, and we'll we'll forget about the whole thing. This way. No, 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 no. Don't make me walk too fast. I'm not used to walking. It isn't good for me to walk so fast. Now listen, man, you've got to tell me. Where are you taking me? Where is there to go in the cemetery? I I don't like it. I tell you, I don't. If this is your idea of a joke, I tell you, I don't like it. The tombstone shining so white, uh, like hands stuck up out of the ground. No, I won't go any further. I don't care what you do. I won't go any... The moonlight's gone. Fellow. Fellow, where are you? It's gotten so dark. Don't leave me here. Those infernal graves and tombstones. Answer me, where are you? All right. I'm my way up myself. So infernally dark, I can't see an inch in front of me. The doorknob. The door here. What? Yeah. But how? What? Steps going down. I wonder what... Door! Let me out. Let me out. Let me out. Let me out of here. I'm here. Look what? Oh. I heard you. Are you down there? I am here. Tell me, is that the way out? The way out. Oh. Wait for me. Wait for me. So infernally dark. Just get me out of here. Get me back to my car. 
Any place but out of this infernal cemetery. I'll pay you well anything you want. Oh. There you are. What is this place? Where am I? Well, don't stand there in the shadows. Talk up. Where am I? Look about you. Infernal candlelight. What can I see? You said this was the way out. Well, lead the way. Take up the candle. All right. All right. Look at the wall alongside of you. Hold the candle high. <gasps> what is this place? You see... Coffins. The mausoleum of the family of Bridge. Your family. No. Look closely. The brass plate on that one. Jeremiah Bridge. Born 1802, died 1858. My grandfather. You never were here before, were you? Huh? Oh, no, no, of course not. I I can't stand funerals and such things. Why am I here now? They lived their years. The men of the family called Bridge. They lived their years like robber barons. Hmm? And then they died, and here in darkness rushed their bones. What are you talking about? Who are you? Why did you bring me here? I tried to rest, yet found no rest, as long as you were living. Who are you? As long as you were living. Answer me, who are you? Take your arm away from your face and let me see. Roberts. Yes, I tried to rest. But the thought of all the men, my friends, whose hearts you'd break as you broke mine. That thought kept tearing at the dead bones of me until I thrust up out of the grave and came back for Robert, you. Robert, your face. My coffin was a poor one. Worms and maggots worked quickly. No. The dead are dead, they told me. Stay back. The dead can't walk, they told me. No closer. The dead can't talk, they told me. Stay back. And yet I walked. I talked. Back! When you took away my work, you took away my life. Back! All the years I lived, I was what they call a good man. Asking so little. A place to sleep, my work to do. No, 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 stop. I can't bear to look at you. When you took my work and with it my life, my goodness and kindness went through. In the grave, I learned the will to kill. No, no, not me. You hear me? Kill. <laughs> and you, the one to be no, killed. No, no, not me, not me, not me. You can't kill me. Here in the place where all of your breed lie rotting, this is the place for you. No, stay back. I can't go any further than the wall. There's hate in me now. Hate that wants to tear the eyes that saw only profit from noise. Oh, please, no, I beg of you. Hate that wants to rip that passive no, no, no. tongue no, from out your head. Please, not me. Hate that wants to rip the skin from off no. your flesh. No, stop. Dead can't kill the living. Hate can kill in life or death. No, I'll get away from you. I will. I will. Dark again. Roberts, Roberts, where are you? I can't see. Then where? Gone. Hi. I'll hide till morning. What? Box. Coffin. Empty coffin on the floor. He's hiding it. Climb in. Put the lid down. (laughs) Never get me in here. Ghost. Old material thing. Never get me. Wait till morning. Get away then. 
never happened anyway. Hallucination. Man jumped out of the window. How could he live again? Air. I think air's getting bad. Open the lid and see if he's gone. Can't fuck it. He's sitting on it. Roberts, he's holding it tight. Get off. Get off. The air, I'll suffocate. Get off. Robert, get off. Hey, Miss Ranson. Yes? Uh, where's Mr. Bridge? Something's come up about the Grosvenor contract. Said he'd have the paper signed. Just a minute. Mr. Bridge hasn't come in yet this morning. Morning? That's well, almost noon. I know it is, but he isn't here. Had about a dozen appointments, but he just isn't here. Perhaps you left it on his desk. You'd better not disturb his paper. Oh, I won't, I won't. Miss Ranson, come here, quick. What is it? What's the matter? Look. The proof sheet. What a nice paper. Where did it come from? Why... I don't know. It, it wasn't there when I came in this morning. Look at it. Look at it. All Look right. All right. Scoop. Uh, J. Rogers Bridge, publisher of the Daily Express, committed su- suicide last night in his family mausoleum in the Rosewood Cemetery. Oh, no. And look. Look at the signature. It's signed. Roberts. Roberts. Oh, my. But he's the old man who... who jumped out of the window. Wait. Look. The message. Printed on... Oh, no. Printed on what? On the piece of human skin. Oh. Well, Mr. Obler, I've often heard that a good newspaper man has supernatural powers, but I never expected to meet one who would return from the grave to make his last deadline. Oh, by the way, that brings up something I've been meaning to ask you. What's that, Frank? Do you think that under some circumstances a person might return from the dead? Frank, I do have an idea about that. But I'm going to suggest that we put it with the unfinished business to be taken up in the near future. Because after you say a word, I've got something very important I'd like to say to our listeners. Ironize. And look for the big letters IY on the package and on each tablet. Now, Arch Obler with a serious message for every American. Ladies and gentlemen, a few weeks ago on another network, I started a game. Perhaps you heard about it. It's called They're Here for Me. It's a very simple game. You sit where you are and you think, the Japs, the Nazis, they're here for me. Not for someone in the newspaper or someone in a town halfway across the world or someone I don't even know in this neighborhood or even for my neighbor next door, but for me, for me. Yeah, a smirking little Jap is standing at the door. He's there for you, not in the headlines, not just in my deal, but actually there for you. It can't happen, you know. Three million dead in Europe attest to that fact. Now, 
even if the words uh, such as duty to one's fellow man and patriotism and a better world to come and all that sort of thing uh, may not mean much to you, out of self-interest, these words should. They're here for me. Think about that Jap or that Nazi waiting for you. And then remember that every war-saving stamp and every war bond that you buy is a bullet or a bomb or a tank or an airplane between you personally and the horror of a Jap Nazi world. Every bond that you buy, another bullet or another bomb or another tank or another airplane between you personally and the horror of a Jap Nazi world. Tell your employer to start taking that 10% out of your pay starting right now. Lights Out will come to you again next Tuesday at this same time. Be sure to listen to Arch Obler's chilling story of Knock at the Door. And if you need more vitamin B and iron, be sure to try Ironized Yeast. The one and only Ironized Yeast. With the big letters IY on the package and on each tablet. It is later than you think. Ever hear of a substitute for new clothes? You may want one someday now that many clothing materials are becoming harder to get. So take care of your present clothes and let Energine Cleaning Fluid help you do it. Energine removes little grease spots that are the favorite feeding place of moths. Grease spots that make your clothes look worn, run down, old before their time. And Energine removes those grease spots easily. Simple directions are right on the Energine container. Get some tomorrow and start getting more satisfactory wear from your clothes by keeping them free of grease spots with Energine Cleaning Fluid. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. Robert Taylor in the house in Cypress Canyon. A suspense play produced, edited, and directed for Roma Wines by William Spear. Suspense. Radio's outstanding theater of thrills is presented for your enjoyment by Roma Wines. That's R-O-M-A. Roma Wines. Those better-tasting California wines enjoyed by more Americans than any other wine. Yes, right now, a glassful would be very pleasant as Roma Wines bring you Robert Taylor in a remarkable tale of suspense. Merry Christmas, Jerry. How's the real estate business? Oh, kind of early with your greeting, aren't you, Sam? Well, I got to get them in sometime. I may not see you again until next Christmas. This real estate racket gets any crazy. I'll be dead by next Christmas. <laughs> I'm glad you could get up here, though, Sam. What's on your mind, Jerry? Uh, you, you'll probably shoot me when you hear it, Sam, because I'm probably nuts. But, but doggone it, you're a detective and you're my pal, and I just had to tell somebody. Oh, you sound like it's serious. That's just it. I, I don't know what it is, Sam, but... Now, listen, you... You know, we're agents for a group of houses up in Cypress Canyon. Mm-hmm. Those places that were started before the war never got finished. Oh, yeah. All they got in were the foundations, just mm-hmm. concrete and a couple of beams. Well, they've been finished now. In fact, I'm putting up the for rent on the last of them today. Well, what do you want? Police protection from the mob? Yeah. Listen, Sam, this house that I'm talking about, it's got a number now, uh, 2256. But before, when the men went back to work on it about three months ago, well, they just started when the foreman on the job... 
brought me a shoebox that he'd found up on a beam. And this box had a, a what do you call it, a, a manuscript in it, a story kind of, all written out. Yeah. Well, he gave me the thing. I read it. I didn't think much about it. I put it in my desk. But the other day, and I happened to drive by there, I saw the number on the house and what the house looked like. I thought of this manuscript. And, well, I don't like it. That's all. There's something funny about it. What's funny about it? Well, mind you, this thing was found in an unfinished house in Cypress Canyon. House was only just started building. All right. So, well, listen, Sam, I want to read it to you if you've got the time. Then you'll see what I mean. All right, shoot. Well, here's how it begins. Uh, to whom it may concern. My reasons for setting down on paper what follows here will be abundantly clear. Will be abundantly clear to anyone into whose possession it may fall. First, let me say that I'm a very ordinary person. My name is James A. Woods. I'm 35 years old. By profession, a chemical engineer. My wife, Ellen, was a school teacher when I met and married her in Indiana seven years ago. There's nothing in the past life of either one of us to suggest remotely any cause or reason for the dreadful thing that has invaded our lives. Our married life has been in no way different from that of millions of other average, reasonably happy, and congenial families. Three months ago, I was ordered by my firm to take charge of a rather minor project in Los Angeles, uh, Hollywood to be exact. The order was a sudden one. There'd been no time to secure accommodations and... Conditions being what they are, the inevitable result was that until day before yesterday, we'd been living in the cramped quarters of one of those characteristic California motels. Needless to say, most of our spare time had been devoted to a search for something more permanent and comfortable, but the fruits of these efforts had been financially and in every other way a geometrical progression of discouragement. Until last Saturday afternoon, only four days before Christmas, we were driving into town on our way to a movie when Ellen saw it. Jim, look. What? That sign in front of that real estate office. Oh, yeah. But yeah. don't you see what it says? For rent, furnished, two-bedroom house, close in, immediate occupancy. Yeah, uh-huh. Aren't you going to stop? Oh, Ellen, you know a sign like that. It means right out in plain sight in front of a real estate office. Oh, yeah, but Jim. You know they want $600 a month. We'll never know until we ask. Well, if it's any good at all, there are probably 50 people fighting for it right back there now. Well, honey, there's no harm in trying. Now, is there? You really want to go back? Oh, it's probably foolish, but what can we lose? Okay. Oh, darling, come on, cheer up. How do you know? Maybe our luck will change. Maybe fate's going to give us a nice new house for a Christmas present. Sorry to bother you, but we just happened to see that for rent sign outside. Oh, yeah. Uh, I hung it outside just this minute. Is, is the house available? Why, sure. Sure it is. Uh, let me introduce myself. My name is James A. Woods, and this is my wife, Ellen. How do you Wow. Looks like it's fixing to rain. Yes. So it does, doesn't it? agent had just been authorized to rent the place by mail that morning, and he'd hardly had time to look at it himself and put up his sign when we drove up. It was just an ordinary little California house about halfway up Cypress Canyon, number 2256, just an ordinary, undistinguished little house. The agent didn't know much about it. 
Construction on it had been stopped by the war and it had just been completed and furnished lately. Been vacant while somebody's estate was being settled and now it was owned by a bank in Sacramento. Of course, we didn't... We didn't got this key in the mail along with the authorization to rent. Only one there is. Of course, you can have duplicates, mate. It seems to stick a little. Oh, no, there it is. Doesn't sound as though that door had ever been opened. Well, a little oil on the hinges will fix that all right. Oh, sure. Now, now here's your living room. Furniture's a little dusty, of course. You've got to expect that. It's good furniture, though, you see? Benson Brothers. Yes, yeah, I know. Now, over here's a little den. Panel, you see? Radio, fireplace. Really a very attractive little room, particularly for a man. Uh-huh, yeah. Now, the, the bedroom's off the living room here. Everything's all on one floor, you understand? Uh-huh. It's, uh... Quite nice, I think. Yes. Mm-hmm. You can see you get the morning sun here. There's a view of the canyon through this one window. That's about all there was to it. It wasn't the best place in the world. It was small and badly built, but what would you have done? We took it with as little inspection as that. It was the Saturday before Christmas. And the very same evening, we were struggling up the steps from the road with suitcases and boxes and armloads of clothes and... All the endless bric-a-brac that people collect and never know they have until they move. Ellen began unpacking, and I began moving things around and taking the worst of the pictures off the wall, doing all the little things that everybody does when they move into a new place and try to give it something of their own. Don't be such a sourpuss. You know, it's a roof over our heads for Christmas. That's more than we ever thought we'd get, isn't it? Now, what in the world are we going to do with those two pictures? Why don't we just leave them where they are? Jim, we can't. They're too awful. Well, all right, put them in the closet then. I can't. Both the closets are jammed full. No, I mean the other one in the little alcove off the den. At least there's a door there. I suppose it's a closet. Yeah. I don't know. That isn't a commentary on the housing problem, huh? A woman moving into a house without even knowing where all the closets are. Take the pictures down, will you, honey? Bring them in here. Okay, okay. Oh, I guess you'll have to help me with this door. I can't get it open. Let me see. Well, of course you can, silly. It's locked. Where are those keys we found on the desk? Oh, here they are. Not this one. Sure, this one won't work. Well, feels like an awful solid door for a closet. Oh, that's one solid door in the house. Well, this one won't do it either. Well, we'll just have to get a locksmith up here on Monday. I'll put the pictures behind the desk, okay? Yeah, yeah, all right. Jim, if you could just help me move this armchair, huh? Oh, Ellen, will you let it go until tomorrow? You know what time it is. Oh, but, honey, I'd like to get the place looking just a yeah, little bit. Yeah, but it's bit. almost midnight. In fact, it's, it's exactly... What was that? <laughs> Tomcat, I guess, on the brush somewhere. Sounded near. <laughs> hope that doesn't go on all night. Well, there's much we can do about it. Come on, Ellen. I'm dead tired. All right, Jim. Where'd you put the toothpaste, honey? Right in the medicine cabinet. Oh, yeah. Jim, we ought to get some firewood tomorrow. You know, a fire in that living room would make all the difference Make's in the world. Dead. Sunday. Well, Monday then. Jim, I think red curtains are what we need, don't you? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, just at least for the living room. Anyway, the ones in there now have just got to come down. Yeah, I suppose they do. What do you think of red? Well, I guess it's all... Jim. Some tomcat. Jim, it sounded in the house. Oh, now, how could it be in the house, Ellen? We've been over every inch of the house. Except that closet. Now, how could a cat or anything else be in the closet that's been locked up for over a year? 
I don't know. It's probably under the house, a wildcat or mountain lion or something. I hear they have them in California. Jim, I don't like well, it. Well, neither do I like it, but there's nothing we can do about it tonight. Oh, maybe we ought to call somebody, the police or oh, some don't neighbor. don't be silly, Ellen. You act like a kid. Come on, let's go to bed, huh? Oh, all right. I suppose it is silly. Jimmy, did you lock the door? Yeah, yeah. Can I turn out the lights now? Yeah. All right. Good night, Ellen. Sleep time. Good night, Jim. I don't know what time it was. Perhaps an hour, perhaps only a half hour later. My mind was in that hazy borderland between sleep and a dream that's still part of consciousness. <laughs> then I was awake. <laughs> Ellen, are you all right? Yes. Did a nightmare or something? No. I heard it too. Well, that didn't sound like any cat. Put on the light. Yeah. It, it seemed to be out there, Jim, in the house somewhere. Well, I'm going to look into this. Jim, you be careful. Come on. Where's my shotgun? In the den, I think. Jim. What? There's, there's something wet. What? Wet? Running from under the closet door. Dicky. Hey, Ellen, don't. Don't touch it. I had to. Jim, it's blood. For suspense, Roma Wines are bringing you Robert Taylor in the house in Cypress Canyon. Roma Wines' presentation tonight in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Now, Roma Wines bring back to our Hollywood soundstage Robert Taylor as James A. Woods, with Kathy Lewis as his wife Ellen in the house in Cypress Canyon. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense. not be too difficult to understand from the foregoing why I've taken the pains to set down in writing the events related here. To find in one's newly rented house a closet which cannot be opened is in itself certainly no great cause for alarm. But to be awakened in the stillness of the night by unearthly cries within that house, to find oozing from under that closet door something that is unquestionably blood, that's another matter. Perhaps others might have been braver than we. Suffice it only to say that we got out of the house in something very close to a panic and only returned when we had the moral support of two stalwart Los Angeles police. You uh, just moved in here, you say? That's right, officer. You can, you can see we're still unpacking. And the place has been empty right along before that? Yeah, I don't know much about that part of it. You could check all that with a real estate agent, though. Well, uh, <clears throat> where is this closet? Oh, it's it's right in here, officer. And and the blood, the blood is... Where? Where's the blood? Jim? I swear to you, there was blood on the floor less than an hour ago. I, I saw it. Uh-huh. It was running out from under that door. We heard that noise, and we got up, and then we saw it. The, the, the door was locked. Locked, huh? Oh, no. Well, it seems to be all right now. Hey, uh, you folks aren't trying to be funny, are you? Is, isn't there anything in it? No, ma'am, there is not. Look, officer, we're reputable people. You can call my firm. They'll tell you all about me. There's nothing wrong with this closet. Walls are solid. 
No trap doors? If you think I'm lying... I didn't say that, mister. Oh, you probably did hear some sort of noise and you got a little panicky What about the blood? It... It got on my hand. Isn't there now, is it? Yes. Where? I I feel it. (laughs) Now, you folks just take it easy. You're liable to hear all kinds of noises up in these canyons at night. You're uh, from the east, you say? Uh, Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, officer. Ah, that's all right. That's all right. If you have any real trouble, call on us any time. All right. Well, good night. Good night. Good night. Hey. <laughs> you ought to have this door fixed. That's enough to scare you. Yeah, we're, uh, we're going to have it fixed. much about it after that. There wasn't much that could be said. The next day, I went down to a lot and bought a little Christmas tree and some trimmings, and we tried to pretend we were cheerful, but there was an uneasiness between us that had never been there before. Ellen seemed tired and listless. Several times during the day, I noticed her washing her hands with a a brush, scrubbing the one that had touched the blood. That night, we each took a sleeping pill and went to bed. Sometime after midnight, when I was suddenly wide awake and staring into the darkness. In some way, I, I knew at once and instinctively what had awakened me. Ellen was not in her bed nor in the room. The nameless thing I feared gripped at my heart until I could scarcely breathe. I opened the bedroom door and started through the house, putting on every light that I could find. There was not much to search, but I searched thoroughly. The, the living room, the kitchen, bathroom, and even the garage... And all the time, the dread of looking where I knew at last I must look. For I think I knew from the very first time where I'd find her. It must have been a full minute that I stood before that closet door. Then, I opened it. She stood there rigid, her arms at her sides, her fingers extended like claws. Her hair was over her face, her eyes stared out of it. Her lips were drawn back in a grin like an animal at bay. For a moment, I was frozen with the horror of it. I stretched out my hand. Mm. Very deliberately, she turned her head and sunk her teeth until they met into the flesh of my forearm. I'd raised my hand to strike at her, but already she'd relaxed her hold and gone utterly limp. She would have fallen unless I'd caught her. I carried her into the bedroom and laid her on the bed. Strangely, at that moment, my only thought was how I might revive her. Until I saw that it was... It was not a faint, but a sleep that she'd fallen into. Sleep as deep and heavy as though she'd been drugged. And so I left her. But for me, that night, there was no sleep. Yes? Yes, Ellen? I got a little restless, went out to make some coffee. Oh. oh. I had the most wonderful sleep. And I feel so rested. Do you? Mm-hmm. Jim. What? What's the matter with your arm? Oh, I I just heard it. Oh, honey, it, it's terribly swollen. Let me see it. No, it, it's all right, Ellen. Oh, it isn't all right. 
You've got to see Dr. Wesley right away. Sure, I, I will. No, I now will. you promise me, Jim, that you'll go the first thing this morning. How'd it happen? Why, oh, uh, th- there was a dog. A dog? Yeah, I, I heard him trying to chew through the screen door. I went out to chase him away, and he bit me. Wow. You mean there all that racket, and I didn't even wake up? No, Ellen, you, you didn't even wake up. It was clear to me that Ellen knew nothing of what had transpired the night before. I went to my office that morning and made a pretense of going over routine business, if only to restore my mind to some semblance of calm by the sight and sound of common, familiar things. Pain in my arm had become a persistent, dull throbbing. I made a late appointment with Dr. Wesley. He treated my arm with something of an arched eyebrow, and he said, Well, I've never seen anything quite like it before. That is such a rapid onset of infection. It was dark when I left his office. I hadn't realized it was so late. Driving home, my car seemed seemed sluggish until I saw the needle on the dashboard and realized that I was pushing it to the utmost of its speed. I was racing home to prevent prevent something before it was too late, before the darkness conspired against me. For somehow I already knew with certainty that it was the darkness and the night that I had to fear. The curves of the canyon seemed endless. And then the cold fear leaked up inside me. My house, too, was dark. I went slowly up the stone steps in the road, looking, praying for some sign of light or light. There was none. The house was empty. Ellen was gone. I, I looked with the same self-torturing thoroughness. And in that closet, first of all, knowing as I did so that it was hopeless. And so, alone in that empty house, I waited, powerless and helpless now, deadened in thought and will, empty as the house itself, save only for the overwhelming sense of a terrible foreboding. For some time in the early hours of the morning, I snapped on the radio, shortwave. Why, surely a minor question now. I only know that I did. And then I heard it. Car 58, car 58, go to Laurel Canyon, the 4,000 block. Report that a man has been injured or attacked. This is thought to be critical. Ambulance will follow. That is all. I was there almost before the police, edging my way through the little crowd, staring down at the man lying there in his white uniform under the street light. Yeah, the milkman, poor guy. I heard him scream, but when I got here, just like this. Is all right, stand talk. back, stand oh, back. No. Please, please stand back. Well, you again. I, I heard it on the radio. I, I live just down the road. Yeah, yeah, I remember. Well, what happened? Well, take a look. Maybe you can tell us. He was dead. And he was lying on his back. And his throat had been torn out as though by the fangs of some wild animal. Christmas Eve, or rather Christmas morning, for it's a little after midnight. I've been waiting here, here in the stillness of this empty house for nearly 24 hours, waiting for the end. Already once tonight, I've heard that dreadful wailing cry somewhere in the hills. I've nailed up the closet door, but that I I know was childish, useless. My arm is horribly swollen and turning black, but 
That's nothing. It's another end that I foresee, as, as surely as other men foresee the rising of the sun. I hear the cry again. It's nearer now. I shall leave these notes in a sealed envelope and put it in a shoebox in the hope that someone will give credence to these dark and terrible events, if, indeed, such nameless horrors can ever yield to mortal understanding. As for myself, I feel no longer any fear or even sorrow, only a desire that the end and the thing that I must do may come soon. And it will be soon, I know. Yes, but there is someone at the door. Huh. What do you make of it, Sam? <laughs> it's quite a yarn. But what of it? That's what I thought. Now, listen, that's not quite all of it. Huh? Clip to it's a newspaper clip. Listen. Hollywood, December the 26th. Police reported what was apparently a case of murder and suicide in Cypress Canyon sometime in the early hours of the morning. The victims were James A. Woods, the chemical engineer, and his wife, Ellen. Preliminary investigation indicates that Mrs. Woods was killed by the blast of a shotgun in the hands of her husband, who then turned the weapon upon himself. That she fought desperately for her life, however, was evidenced by the disorder of the room and the severe lacerations inflicted upon her husband about the neck and arms. This is the second tragedy to be reported in Cypress Canyon within 24 hours, the other being the unexplained death of Frank Polanski, a milkman. Well, no such murders or whatever they were ever occurred, if that's what's worrying you. The clipping, Molly. Have those things printed up, you know. No, no, it's not that, Sam. That story was found in an unfinished house in Cypress Canyon. No number, no nothing. Just a framework. Uh-huh. Now that house is finished. When I drove by it today... But that's what stopped me, Sam, because it all fits. Now that it's finished, it is the house in the story, the same construction, the same vines and creepers on the lawn, even the same number. So what, a guy who knows roughly that this house is going to be like writes a yarn and loses it or something. Did he know the place was going to be listed for rental today, the Saturday before Christmas? Oh, Jerry, coincidence. Two bits you find the guy next door is a ghost story writer or something, and he's been wondering for a year what happened to that thing he wrote. Okay. Okay, coincidence. Well, I, I'm sorry I bothered you. <laughs> Don't be silly. I like it. It's a good yarn. Is uh, that the uh, parent sign you were talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to put it up outside now. Uh-huh. Well, so long, Jerry, and Merry Christmas again. Yeah, well, thanks, Sam. <laughs> I guess I was kind of silly all right. <laughs> Listen, when a guy named uh, whatever it is, Woods, with a wife named Ellen, comes in to rent that place from you, then you can start worrying. <laughs> yeah. Well, so long, Sam. So long, Charlie. Come in. Oh, we're sorry to bother you, but we just happened to see that for rent sign outside. Well, yeah, I hung it out just this minute. Is, is the house available? Oh, sure, sure it is. Let me introduce myself. My name is James A. Woods, and this is my wife, Ellen. How do Wow. Looks like it's fixing to... Yes, it does, doesn't it? 
presents... Presented by Roma Wines, R-O-M-A, Roma Wines, selected for your pleasure from the world's greatest reserves of fine wine. Suspense. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. and directed by William N. Robeson and carefully plotted to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. Tonight, we escape to the high mountains of Ecuador and to a remarkable world where sight is unknown, as H.G. Wells imagined it in his curious story, The Country of the Blind. My name is Ibarra. I am a mining engineer in Quito, Ecuador, high in the towering Andes. And up until a year ago, my chief sport was mountain climbing. My last climb was an attempt to scale the remote and forbidding peak of Parascotopetl, a 20,000-foot crag unconquered by man. It is unconquered still, 3,000 feet from the icy summit. Our party turned back and fled for their lives. All of us escaped except one, a guide named Nunez, who slipped and fell over the precipice, disappearing into the vast chasm that yawned 10,000 feet beneath us. The horror of that man's fall has haunted my dreams for a year. Because of it, I have forsaken mountain climbing for the rest of my life. And that decision still stands, even though today I have seen Nunez. He was sitting on the steps of my shack when I arrived at the mine this morning. At first I didn't recognize him. He was so much changed. I thought he was a ragged beggar asking alms. Is, is it you, Senor Ibarra? My name is Ibarra, yes. What do you want? You do not know me, Senor. I know, I... You look like a man I knew once, but he is dead. Dead on the slopes of Periscotopetl. Nunes. No, it couldn't be you. Nunes. That is my name, senor. At least that is the name I remember. But you fell. I saw you fall. Yes. It's impossible that you could have lived. Perhaps the gods of the mountain had some reason to spare me. 
known as if we'd had any idea that you were alive, but you went down, down thousands of feet. We couldn't even attempt to find your body. I know I do not blame you. You could not have reached me. And if you had, I, I should not have welcomed you at first. But then later... What do you mean, Nunes? Senor, you will not believe what I have to tell. I can hardly believe that I'm seeing you, talking to you. But what has happened to you? You remember that night, the night I fell? Yes. We had been toiling all day, inching our way up a steep ice wall. And as darkness came, we found a narrow ledge, barely three feet wide. It's not very wide, but we can get our shoulder wall up and cut off some of this wind. Well, that'll be welcome. Yes, but first we'll rest a moment. Look at that icy devil up there glistening in the moonlight. There's another 3,000 feet of sheer ice wall to the top. Well, I can see why no one's ever made it. Think we should go on? I don't know. Nunes, huh? anything. It is not my place to say, senor. I was hired to guide you to the top. I agreed. What do you really think? If I believed in the gods of the mountain, as the Indians do, I should be frightened now. Why? Because we have invaded the Forbidden Circle. This part of the Andes is unmapped and unknown, senor. And therefore shrouded in superstition, eh? It is an easy thing to believe strange things in this white loneliness. Some of the legends are really fascinating. I've heard of one, something about a hidden valley called the Country of the Blind. Yes, it is supposed to be somewhere down there below us. A fertile valley which was settled many centuries ago. And then cut off by the great landslide of Arauca. But why the country of the blind? Well, even before it was isolated, the people developed a strange illness. All of them slowly went blind. After that, their children were born blind. And the legend is that the valley was the home of the mountain gods. It was too beautiful for human eyes. That's all right. Well, it's all nonsense. Yes, of course. Would be pleasant to find it, though. You know the old proverb, in the country of the blind, the one-eyed man is king? I doubt that we could ever find it. I even doubt if it exists. Of course not. I was only joking. Yes. Well, now if you're arrested, we'll make the shelter wall. Right. I'll give you a hand in a minute. Believe me, Ibarra, for two pesos, I'd give up this climb. I never realized Senor, how... Senor, I'm uh, slipping! Hang on! No net! No net! In one horrible instant, my foot had slipped on the treacherous ledge and I'd gone over, falling far out into the icy black night, falling down, down. I fell perhaps a thousand feet. Then I felt a heavy stinging impact of snow. I'd fallen on an almost perpendicular snow slope. And now I was sliding down, down, tumbling over and over. And then suddenly I realized that my own motion had almost stopped. And it was the snow that was moving. I was riding an avalanche. At almost the same moment, I went over the second precipice. It was higher than the first, much higher, perhaps 4,000 feet. I fell with the snow for what seemed minutes, every second expecting the terrible final impact. But the impact never came. Miracle of miracles, that sheer wall blended almost imperceptibly into another steep snow slope. And again I was sliding. Gradually, as the arc of the slope curved away, I felt myself slow down. And finally I rolled to a stop and lay still. 
when I awoke, it was morning, and I was covered with snow. I shook off the cold white blanket on my chest and rested a moment. And then I rolled over on my back and looked up. My heart almost stopped as I saw from where I'd fallen, where the mountain towered 10,000 feet above me. Then carefully I felt of myself. My clothes were torn. I, I was bruised and bleeding. I, I ached in every muscle, but I had not a single broken bone. I lay there and offered up a prayer to the gods of the mountain. Far below me lay a lush valley sparkling in the morning sunlight. I could see the stately trees and the green meadows fresh with dew. I started down the mountain, but it was still an arduous descent. The farther down I got, the more I realized the beauty of the scene. Why, this was a hidden paradise I'd fallen into. And I was the first man ever to see it. So I thought. But I was wrong. I realized that first when I saw the cultivation in the meadows. And then the walks, well-kept stone walks laid in a symmetrical pattern all over the valley. And then I saw them. There were men and women lying under the trees and resting in the fields. Nearby, a collection of windowless huts marked a village, and the plastering of the houses was done in a wild variety of colors. I thought to myself, <laughs> the plasterer who did that must have been blind as a bat. Then I saw two of the men quite close to me. They were standing on a bridge over the little stream. They were dressed in odd, loose clothing, and there was a strange look about their faces. They failed to notice me as I approached until I shouted. Suddenly, they looked up attentively in my direction. I waved wildly at them, but they took no notice. Why, the fools must be blind. Blind? Could it be that I have fallen into the country of the blind? In the country of the blind, a one-eyed man can be king. Hello there. You needn't be afraid. I, I won't hurt you. I come in peace. It, it is a man, or a spirit comes down from the rocks. Oh, I'm a man, all right, just like you, but I've had a miraculous escape, and now I find myself here in your valley. Valley? Valley? Come hither. Let me feel of you. Yes, certainly. Here, my, my arm is my face. You see, I am a man, I, like yourself. Here, feel my lips. They move with speech. Oh, careful there. Gently, those are my eyes. 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 That is strange. Feel this, Korea. Yes, I feel. Careful. Feel the eyelids flutter? He is but imperfectly formed. Some strange bulge there. Unseemly. No, no. You see, your eyes are shrunken in, but mine are whole. I can see. See? Pedro, he is a strange, wild one. Where does he come from? He must have come down out of the rocks. No, from over the mountains, out of the country beyond there where men can see. From Bogota, where there are a hundred thousand people and a city stretches out of sight. Sight? What strange words he uses, without meaning. And feel the coarseness of his hair, like a llama's. 
Our fathers have told us men may be made by forces of nature. It is the warmth of things and moisture and rottenness. Let us lead him to the elders. But no one need lead me. I can see. See? Oh, yes, of course. I can... I... I didn't see your water bucket. His senses are still imperfect. He stumbles and talks unmeaning words. Lead him by the hand, Pedro. But look, I... <laughs> oh, well, all right. These people had been blind for centuries. They had forgotten even the words associated with seeing. And they thought I was an idiot, only half-formed. Especially when they led me into the pitch blackness of one of their windowless huts. And I stumbled over someone. A thousand pardons, Madonna Sorota. He's a clumsy one. I, I'm sorry I fell down. I, I couldn't see in the darkness. Who is this? And what is he saying? He is but newly formed, good father. He has come down from the rocks. He stumbles as he walks and mingles words that mean nothing with his speech. He is a wild man out of the rocks. No, I come from Bogota, over the mountains. You hear? Bogota. He uses wild words. His mind is hardly formed. He has only the beginnings of speech. <laughs> Bogota? <laughs> yes. I, I come from the great world where men have eyes and see. That must be his name, Bogota. He stumbled twice as we came thither. He must be taught. No, you, you don't understand. I can see, but not in the dark. To you, darkness or light is all the same, but to me, to, to us who can see, to us outside in the world beyond the mountains... Mountains? We... What are mountains? Very well, then, beyond the rocks. <laughs> there is nothing beyond the rocks. That? is the end of the world. Oh, but surely you must realize the, the sky above covers more than just this valley. Sky? Above? There is nothing above but the roof of rock. <laughs> he is very raw, my children. He shall have to be taught from the beginnings. Uh, now take him away. Uh, feed him. It shall be done, good father. But guide him. See that he does not stumble over my daughter again. Do not fear, Father. I shall guide him myself and feed him. Very well. Come, take my hand. Thank you. It, it'll be a pleasure to get outside again, out of this darkness. Come this way. Yes. What is your name? Medana Sarote. Mine is Juan. Juan Nunez. Oh, oh, sunlight. Oh, this is better. And now I may look at you. Why, you're beautiful. I cannot tell you what a wonderful thing you are to see. Oh, please, you must be careful. Why? You do not learn quickly and cease speaking such strange words. They may not be so kind to you. They might be angry. They might even destroy you. <laughs> This thought had not occurred to me, and suddenly I had a twinge of fear. Still, the proverb kept running through my mind. In the country of the blind, a one-eyed man is king. But try as I would, I cannot make them understand my wonderful gift of sight. They thought me stupid and untaught, almost an idiot. Day by day, I learned their peaceful ways, but they could not learn mine. 
It was beginning to get on my nerves. There's two, perhaps. Bogota? Bogota, come hither. Bogota, you move not. No, and I won't, you old beetle. I'll show you. I'll leave the path. Bogota, trample not on the grass. It is not allowed. How did you know I stepped on the grass? I heard, of course. Heard, but I didn't make a sound. Why do you not come when I call you? Can you not hear the path as you walk? I can see it. There is no such word as see. Cease this folly and follow the sound of my feet. Oh, my time will come. You will learn. There is much to learn in the world. Has no one ever told you in the country of the blind, the one-eyed man is king? Blind? What is blind? Oh, never mind. Bogota, I must warn you. Just keep quiet and learn. And stop this nonsense about seeing. Nonsense, is it? I'll show you. I've taken enough of your insults. Unformed mind. Got no sense yet. I'll be king here. I can see and I'll be king. Bogota, stop it. No, I'm through with your orders. I'll show you what an advantage sight can be. I can hit you and hurt you and you can't see me to strike back. Bogota, put down that spade. You devil, your ears are sharp, aren't they? Bogota, there must be no violence. By heaven, I'll hit you if you come any closer. I swear I will. Put down that spade and come off the grass. You don't understand. You are blind and I can see. I can see. Bogota. I'll hurt you. I swear I will. Put down that spade. Leave me alone. I hit him with a spade and ran over the wall outside the valley back to the rocks, back to the cliff I'd come from. When I reached that sheer rock wall, I knew there was no place to go. For two days and nights, I stayed outside the valley. I grew hungry and cold. Then I realized the hopelessness of my position. I was trapped. I must spend the rest of my life here. There was no way out. So I went back. I confess, O chief of the elders, I was mad. I admit I was only newly made. That is better. And, uh... Do you still think you can, uh, see? No, no, no. That was folly. The words mean nothing less than nothing. And what is overhead? Rock. There's a roof above the world, a roof of rock and very smooth. Very well. And, uh... Please, before you ask me any more, give me food or I shall die. Very well. Give him food. Madonna Salate. And after that, we must put him to the most menial tasks in the village. Guard him well. And perhaps, perhaps he shall learn yet. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, that is better. You are kind, Madonna Sarote. Very kind. I am glad you came back. You are? If they were all like you, I should never have run away. What was that word you said I was? Beautiful. You are. Even your eyes, they're not shrunken depressions like the others. It means something nice, beautiful? Something very nice, Madonna Sarote. Tell me, why is it you have no husband? I... I have a disfigurement. These long hairs. Oh, your eyelashes? Oh, but they're beautiful. They are considered a disfigurement. You're the most lovely girl in the valley. But they wouldn't know, would they? You... You have no lover? No. Madame Sorote, what do you think of me? 
Do you think of me as an idiot like all the rest do? Oh, no. You have much to learn, but you will learn it, I'm sure. And you are kind and gentle. And your voice is soft. You speak words that are soft and warm. No one has ever spoken such words to me. Then I shall speak them often, Matanis Oroti. You are the only one in this valley, in this whole world I care for. And so it began. I, the village idiot, the slave boy who dreamed to be king. I, with my eyes still whole, fell in love with Medina Sorote, the daughter of the elder of the village. Only to her could I open my heart without fear. Only to her could I speak of the beauty I could see around me. Oh, it is a beautiful valley, Medina Sorote. Green with grass and yellow with sunlight. And flowers, bright flowers dotting the hills. And in the cool of the night, the stars gleam like diamonds in the sky. Oh, oh the words sound lovely. But what are stars? Stars? Why, the... No, you wouldn't understand. And what do you mean, in the cool of the night? You still get that confused one. The night is warm. The day is cool. Oh, no, it is you here who have them backwards. Because the darkness means nothing to you. You work in the cool of the night and sleep in the heat of the day, but... You are teasing me. No. Oh. <laughs> what does it matter? All that matters is you. You, you. Here beside me, Medina Sorote. I love you. And I love you. I... I know they still think me an idiot, but... You listen to what I say, and you don't think me an idiot, do you? Oh, no. I like to hear you speak. Then will you... Would you marry me? Yes. Yes, Juan. I will marry you. anything right. But he is getting better. He's better than he was. And he is strong and kind. Stronger and kinder than anyone in the world. And he loves me. And I love him. No, I will not have it. A great sire, if you please. What is it, good doctor? I have examined Bogota and the case is clear to me. I think very probably he might be cured. Huh? And... Uh... How might that be done? His brain is affected by something. I believe I know what it is. Those queer things he calls eyes, hmm? where we have but an agreeable depression. He has great lumps with flaps over them that move and long hairs. Consequently, his brain is in a constant state of irritation. But what can be done to cure him? A very simple surgical operation. Remove the cause of the irritation. We will merely cut out his eyes. But, Juan, 
They say it will make you well. It will make you look like us. But you don't understand, Medina Sarote. My world is sight. You would not want me to lose my most precious possession? I don't know. There are so many beautiful things to see. The flowers, the far sky with its drifting clouds, the sunsets, the stars. And you? If only just to see you, it is good to have sight. And I would never see you again. Juan, I love to hear you say these things, even though I know it is just your imagination. But, my dear, these things are real. No, they are fancies. This is real. You will let them cut out your eyes. We can be together always. And you want me to? Oh, if you would. If only you would. What else can I do? My dearest one. My dearest with a tender voice. I will repay you. Oh, Madonna. Be brave. And carry my voice in your thoughts. Now I must go. And tomorrow... Yes. Tomorrow will be forever. Goodbye. Goodbye, Madonna. I suppose I knew it then, when I said that. I only meant to go up on the rocks and look out over the valley... To spend my last days feasting my eyes, my precious eyes, on the wonderful, beautiful world of light and color. But when I got there, it was too beautiful, too lovely, this valley, this home of the mountain gods. Beautiful and forbidden, I drank it in. The green of the fields, the blue of the gently curving stream... The orange of the lichen in the rocky crevices. I climbed higher to see the great snow-capped peaks towering above and away to the distant sky. And still higher as the shadows turned the snow to purple and crimson and deep blue. The valley now was far below and as beautiful as a painting. But like a painting, it seemed unreal... Medina Sarote was small and far away, a distant dream. And the world of sight was here, all around, overpowering, wonderful. I turned and began to climb up that sheer rock wall. How many months it took me to make my way out over those mountains, over glaciers and snowfields and sheer precipices, I cannot guess how I lived through the cold and hunger of it, I cannot tell you. But I'm here at last, back from the country of the blind. Good heavens, man. What an experience. Yes. Terrible and wonderful. But you aren't sorry you came back? Sorry? I see her face clearly now. It is the only thing I see. Nunez, come, you need food. Here, take my hand. Thank you. Where is it, Senor Ibarra? Nunez. Yes. 
The gods of the mountain have had their revenge. Those months of crawling over the snow and ice with the sun glaring down. Yes. I am blind. Escape is produced and directed by William N. Robeson. And tonight presented The Country of the Blind by H.G. Wells, adapted for radio by John Dunkel, with Paul Fries as Nunez, Peggy Weber as Medina Sorote, Bill Conrad as Ibarra, and Harry Bartel as Correa. The special musical score was conceived and conducted by Cy Fewer. Next week... When you're tired from a hard day at the office... Or your back aches from bending over a hot stove. Next week at the same time, when you want to get away from it all, we offer you escape. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. extended episode. Thank you all for listening. Happy birthday to me. (laughs) And remember, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash terror1970 or you can look me up on Instagram at Radio Show Nerd or on Twitter at Radio Show Nerd 1. Or if you want to drop me a line or give me a suggestion, you can always send me an email at radioshownerd at gmail.com Again, this is your host, Keith, a.k.a. The Radio Show Nerd, signing off.